Hey guys, and welcome back to another podcast, another solo podcast. So I'm back with myself today, purely because uh, organising a time with George will happen very soon. Um, it's just we're both in uh, busy phases at the moment, coming up to Christmas, social events and things like that, and obviously me travelling. Um, and obviously last episode I, I covered my trip to LA uh, with the w- WMBF World, so I won't be talking about that much, but with the travel and everything going on at the moment, it's just a little bit harder to to communicate and to get a good time sorted between the two of us. Um, obviously being between Sheffield, Birmingham as well for myself, understanding when people are free is a little bit difficult. Um, I'm Sheff- I'm in Sheffield this weekend, um, or at least I have been over the past weekend, and I will be heading to New York, as I've said in the last podcast, be heading to New York on Friday with Danny for uh, basically an actual holiday, so actually not going away for a, like a bodybuilding show or anything like that, um, purely going away for a holiday, which I'm really excited for. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to, to getting away, spending some time sort of uh, not doing work for a little bit, which will be good, um, trying to take off, off the gas a little bit from check-ins and things like that, so uh, it'll be one of the first times that I've done that in a long time, and I think in all honesty I needed it a little bit sooner, um, because I've seemed to have come across a, maybe a slight, you could guess I could call it an injury, um, just basically developing an exertion-based headache over a period of a few sessions which weren't, like I wasn't feeling too right, um, and then I just kept pushing, kept pushing, and yeah, I think that I've pushed myself back into a position which I've experienced once before, but it was a little bit worse uh, once before because I didn't know what it was, so I just kept training, and you shouldn't really keep training when you get one of these things. Basically, it feels like you've got like a. It's basically very similar to like a a migraine or a tension headache where you get you know sort of a pounding feeling in your head that lasts for a while. When you train, you tend to make it worse. Um, and if anyone's experienced it, I'm sure that they'll know exactly how it feels. I'm sure plenty of you have. Uh, I know Steve Hall has experienced it. Um, I had a client actually. Funny enough, I communicated with Steve earlier in the week. Um, about a client so I just wanted to get some information off of him because one of my clients had it um, and then you know I managed to pick one up myself um, but yeah I, they, they suck they really do because they do they do take a while to clear um, and they do affect your sort of day-to-day a little bit as well because they essentially just give you a light whole headache and a bit of a foggy brain throughout the day um, it depends how bad you make them uh, as to the severity that they are during the day but yeah something interesting for you guys there um, just essentially be careful when you start to feel like um, a little bit off in the gym uh, with your you know headaches or things like that you can make them you know fairly fairly bad um, and they're just it's not not nice at all so, um, but that, that will go, that will dissipate fairly soon and I'll probably be back into sort of like an intro week phase after New York. Um, we may well get some light sessions in, in New York and, and they'll be absolutely fine for me. Um, but after that, I'll probably just sort of slowly ramp up my training again uh, because I haven't had a deload, like an actual deload or time off training since before we, just before we went to Paris, which was actually about two or two and a half months ago so yeah uh, it's been a while and to be honest like the way my body was feeling just before 
Um, I picked up this niggle and was 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 pretty much giving me all the signs that I needed to sort of start to back off. So you know we can look into HRV, we can look at blood glucose and all this biofeedback. But guys, you're gonna know when you need to back off, and it's just about listening to your body and being an adult in that situation. And I honestly wish every time I really want to really want to portray this. And actually, I want to listen to this fucking podcast myself one day and really start to think about it a little bit more. I really wish that I backed off a little bit sooner. Um, I really did because I knew I knew that I wasn't feeling right. Um, I knew that I shouldn't have pushed myself through some sessions that I did push myself through. Um, and it always ends up with something negative. It always does. And I tell you what, I don't think I've gained much positive out of it. I mean, yes, I squatted 108 kilos for 10 reps and it was fantastic and that set felt really good. But the rest of that session definitely made my head worse. Um, then Saturday's session, which was upper body, it was, a, it was an alright session, not groundbreaking. But again, probably made me feel worse. And then yesterday's push session was just the icing on the cake. Like I was like, nah, nah not, can't, can't be training uh, at any sort of decent intensity with this. Um, so yeah, plan is to, to take some time off now, like actual rest days. So I'll be resting until most likely resting completely until Thursday. Um, and then Thursday I may get in some light blood flow stuff. Uh, but I'm, I may, I may well just rest again and then travel. Um, obviously enjoy our time in New York. Primary goal is to enjoy that holiday. Um, I may get some very light sessions in if we get time whilst we're away. Um, but it won't be anything groundbreaking again. Uh, which it wouldn't be anyway, so you know it's not not a huge loss. It would have been a, a deload anyway for us, regardless of whether I was well or not. Um, but yeah, the, the main goal is just to get better as soon as possible, which I will do. Um, and this again, this part of a long term vision. You know, you've got to got to realize that these little bumps are just you know bumps in the road, and you'll be back on it in no time. And it, it is frustrating in the moment, but it's something that always you're going to learn a lesson out of it and I've, I've certainly learned my lesson again um, not that I needed telling <laughs> uh, but yeah guys so I hope all you guys are well hope you're all having good weeks and good productive weeks of training hopefully you can take something from that little intro again like I usually like to give a bit of an update as to where I am where I'm at and uh, hopefully give something informative away on it but besides that like before that training really really good like hitting some good PBs squat obviously 180 for 10 had a couple of really good sessions with Lewis Rossi um, albeit probably shouldn't have done them um, and then also I've been you know strong across pretty much all of my pressing strong on my sumo deadlifts pulling 200 for five and a half and uh, 108 for 12 you know, like getting some really, really good progressions going. So I'm sure I'll just be straight back at it um, once I ramp things up again after after New York and after everything's feeling good again, which it will do. So, yeah, other than that, let's crack into some of the questions on the Q&A. Thanks again for the questions, guys. Got about 20 through. So I will cover as many as possible. Again, just going into as much depth as I can, I can share. Um, so Hamza sort of asked about... He notices how motivated I am when I work and asks me as to whether I've got a routine for my day and how I avoid distractions. So I do have a routine. In fact, I bring up every time before I sort of like either go into my day or before. Usually it's um, at night. I'll get up my notes section on my Mac and I'll just pull it up and I'll write the day and I'll write a tick list of what I want to get done. You know, whether it's check-ins whether it's what, what body palm training, steps I want to accrue, 
um, you know, even today, like today's list was like one of the boxes to tick was actually just, just rest. Um, obviously, outside of that was check-ins. It was setting up a, a few new people on coaching sheets. Um, it was, I uh, had a couple of consult calls. You know, so things like that, you know, just like ticking away at boxes like you would in a training session, you know, like logging what you have in front of you, having a direction and a vision for your day, really important. So, yeah, just try and create a bit of direction, a bit of vision for each day. Um, that should give you a lot of confidence to to head into the day with an element of workflow, and then that should just sort of replicate itself in your efficiency, and therefore you shouldn't get distracted too frequently because you have what you've got to get done in front of you, and if it doesn't get done, it's as simple as that. It won't get done. So setting up sort of time schedules and allotments into when and when and which you want to get each specific task done. That's also really helpful. Um, so yeah, I, I find that you know working in blocks uh, is also important too. So I've like done for today. I've done my sort of check-in block, um, and now I've moved on to all the other things that I need to do and then the podcast and sort of any other bits of content sort of come later in the day um, which is again just like the way that I like to set up my day uh, but again it's personal preference getting yourself into an environment that that sort of is good for you as well so like for me this morning a coffee shop was good um, didn't really get distracted at all just got my head down uh, trying to keep social media away so I didn't open real I didn't really open social media until about midday um, I didn't really look on Facebook at all you know just trying to limit the external distractions that you may well have um, through social media things like that really important so yeah just try and do that um, Adam Opinions on neck training. So I haven't really done any direct neck training. Uh, I know that Jeff Nippard was quite um, well popularized this when he started training his neck. I, uh, I, I'm not too sure, to be honest. I don't really think that there's a huge benefit from training your neck directly. I, don't, I think there would be more people doing it if there was. Um, I think that he did get some growth, but I think the majority of, like, You'll just generally look big um, in like t-shirts and things like that if you have really big traps. <laughs> so focus on getting like ginormous traps um, and then you'll probably look big in t-shirts if that's your goal. But for a bodybuilder, um, I don't think training the neck directly is something that we need to be looking into um, at all, to be honest. So yeah, that's my opinion on neck training. Short opinion, but willing to change my views on that if someone proves me otherwise, by the way. Uh, Tom, so what goals do I set for... Um, coaching business, not monetary example clients per month. So Tom, I've gone both ways on this. Uh, I think I mentioned in my last podcast, I had a period of time last year where, or sorry, this year, where my client roster was too high. I wasn't able to deliver the exact level of service that I wanted. It was still good, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted. Okay. So I took from that the fact that I can't really realistically go much over 50 clients without being in a bit of a trouble zone in terms of providing the quality that I want to provide. Okay, and that's through like really in-depth feedback videos, um, you know, being at their beck and call on WhatsApp, you know, and being able to answer questions fairly swiftly. Um, and that's also, you know, when it comes to peaking, you know, having an awareness of building that relationship with the client, knowing where they're at, 
and knowing their exact, you know, their exact sort of meals, knowing what they're eating, knowing how to program that effectively. And uh, I think I lost my way a little bit with that when it came to, you know, I want to work with as many because I'm being honest with you, like coaching excites the hell out of me. So when I get a new client, like I had a couple of consults today, um, and a lot of them just like generally excite me. So I find it really, really difficult to turn people down. Um, and uh, I have done, you know, I have done in the past, I have had to turn people away and um, I certainly will do um, at the start of this year and coming into next year is why I'm saying people now, like if you're really interested, please do contact me because I've got a lot of people on my 2019 roster and, you know, there's going to be a limit um, and it's really, really upsetting when I get someone superb come along and like, can I work with you? And I could, but it's just not really feasible within my sort of structure and how I want to give feedback and how I want, how I want to work from a business perspective. So, yeah, I think that it, it is important to, to make sure that you have some element of a cap. Uh, so my, my target, so to speak, is just to stay within any, I, I'm happy as a coach with anywhere between 30 and 45, 50 clients. Um, and that is really the gap, you know, I quite happily just work with 30 individuals. Um, if I had 30 hardworking individuals, make more than enough money, um, I'd uh, be comfortable from that perspective and I'd also just be happy with that workload. So I am not like avidly searching to take on board as many as pe many people as possible. I've had quite a few people start up recently, you may have seen on my Instagram a lot of people starting up um, and that's purely out of the fact that I've got the room and I'm motivated to do so. Um, and I think that obviously being in a a prolonged surplus helps with that. You know, I mentioned that in my last podcast too. So I hope that answers your question, Tom. Um, any further response on that, let me know. Callum, just for fun, never be able to track your lifts or never be able to track your food. Wow. Um, I think tracking my food would be less of a worry um, of an, um, on my initial front because what I do is just eat the same thing every day and then just, if I was dieting, start pulling out specific meals. Uh, I know what a 25 carb pull is, so I'd be able to do that just instinctively. Um, but tracking my lifts, uh, that would be something that I'd be a little bit upset by. I think I'd be more upset by not having a logbook and not being able to track my data in the gym. But I'd again, I'd know, I'd know what I was doing and I'd be able to go back in and, and try and beat it you know what I mean um but I think I'd feel yeah I'd feel a little bit more a little bit more sort of um happy within myself if I was able to still track my lifts not track my food but I'd still be tracking my food to some extent um because I'd be eating the same thing every day and just pulling from specific meals get what I mean um so yeah bit of a good question but when you think it through it's actually quite easy to just get away with tracking both of them <laughs> uh, if you have enough understanding Simon so uh, supplementation is way isolate really worth it versus standard way um, so if you look at absorption rates um, isolate is going to be faster absorbing and also for most people it tends to be beneficial in terms of the fact that it isn't uh, doesn't contain lactose so for people who are lactose intolerant or just generally have a, a bad reaction to things with lactose in it um, again that's a, a benefit um, the quality again, you could argue that potentially an isolate is a better quality than a concentrate. Um, but again, you're looking more directly at digestion rates from that perspective. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say that for most people, especially like in a prep as well, um, 
it's beneficial to have an isolate because again it's it's lower calorie it's lower fat usually than a normal concentrate protein um or a blend so yeah that's my opinion simon i think an isolate is is a worthwhile purchase for a serious bodybuilder um what do you take into account when setting up clients macro splits so usually it's just jamie it's, it's like where are they right now so the first thing that i'll ask when someone's being set up is where the, what the hell are you doing right now? Like, are you tracking your macros? What calories are you consuming? What's your macro split? Um, I generally just get an idea as to where they're at currently. From where they're at currently, then I can start to devise, okay, what can we do to improve this? Can we make this better? Um, can we change around the split? Or is the goal to lose body fat from this from this phase um, or in, into another phase and losing body fat? And if obviously the goal is to remove body fat, then it's a case of, of pulling down from wherever they're currently consuming. If they've got no structure whatsoever, it really is just a case of taking into account their body weight, taking into account their general activity or need throughout the day, and then taking into account obviously how many times they're weight training. And then just basically from an understanding of working with many clients, you'll be able to pretty much accurately predict where their calories are going to need to be. And then from there, it's response of what their scale weight is doing. So if their scale weight is dropping and the goal isn't to drop, obviously that client needs more food. If their scale weight is going up and the goal is to drop, that client needs less food. But you shouldn't really come into that scenario because you should be, over the course of time coaching, being able to develop an awareness as to where you start clients' calories, how you pull them back, um, and what certain individual needs, okay? Um, but that's something that, again, you just learn over the coaching process. But yeah, the, the general things in terms of, I don't use like uh, calculators or anything like that when I set up a client. Uh, so Bogdan, trace protein coming from carbs makes one gram of protein. Uh, per pound, easy to hit, should you include, yeah. I mean, I've, I think I've covered this question before. So when your carbs are really, really high in an off-season phase, uh, hitting a gram per pound of body weight of protein is, is fairly easy because you work up a lot of trace proteins in your carbohydrates that you're eating. So with that being said, an increase in overall protein intake is probably key because at that point, you're going to be losing out on your uh, better quality or higher bioavailability proteins uh, in your diet because you're accumulating so many from just your carbs. So having a higher protein total on a, on a whole is probably a good option at that point. And then obviously making sure that you're hitting a, a leucine threshold of sort of 20, 25 grams of protein per meal from quality sources will be what you'd ideally want to do in that phase. Um, and then again, there's obviously been some research into protein feedings, um, the amount at which you want, um, I would say that uh, from an optimality standpoint, you want at minimum five servings of, of protein per day. And then if you if you look at really, really, really sort of the upper echelons of maybe gaining a percent, maybe you want sort of, uh, sort of four whole meals at least, and then maybe two protein-based snacks like a shake or a bar or something like that. Uh, albeit make sure the bar is 20 grams, some bars which are 19 grams or 18 grams, which to me is just absolutely absurd. I just don't know why they do that. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. Stefan, tips for someone who's starting their own online business, uh, online coaching business, sorry. So I'm going to first up say that you just need to be patient because it's a, such a slow process initially. Um, unless you're very lucky and you get like a huge bolus of people come in. Um, for, for example, someone who's done really well recently, Jack Piad, my friend. Um, he, I remember him starting, you know, starting with very, very few clients. 
Um, and he's worked it up over the period of a whole year. He's really invested a whole year into building up his online coaching business. And now he's pretty much closing in on being full. And that's possible for so many people if you put the work in. So you've got to be willing to put the work in, but over the long time. It's not going to take two months. You know, there may well be months where you go with very minimal income. But you've got to be willing to see the long-term effect and be like, okay, well, at some point I'm going to accum accumulate more people um, and I'm going to get a better income as a result. So, yeah, just be patient, be patient. Um, and then outside of that, really keep your eyes peeled because in February there is going to be something coming that you will be very much interested in. And I highly recommend getting yourself there because it will be game-changing for your coaching business, like absolutely game-changing. So, uh, be there or be square in February and that will be all announced very soon. So you can look forward to that, Stefan. When to increase calories in the off-season? So basically it's a very simple answer. Uh, when your weight is stalled for a period of time, so uh, a week is really not enough. I would like to see sort of a, t a couple of weeks of stall in weight uh, for us to really rationalize an increase. And that's on average. So if we're looking at averages, we're looking at, you know, seven days divided by seven you get an average over the course of those seven days um, and you'll be able to determine as to whether your he your weight is heading in the right direction or not um, and then you can obviously devise whether you increase calories um, as a result of that so yeah go with your weight understand where your weight, weight is heading use averages and they should lead you into the right direction uh, demo post-workout meal timing for best results should wait a little before blood glucose levels lower um, I wouldn't be sort of worrying about your blood glucose levels like post-workout um, you're going to have created plenty of demand for nutrients anyway through training um, and if we look into obviously mTOR regulation and things like that you're going to have the demand for those nutrients post-workout anyway um, so yeah you want to eat post-workout don't wait a million years until your blood glucose has dropped if anything blood glucose will be elevated as a result of sympathetic activity when we train so the whole goal for you to assimilate nutrients really well will be to relax. So that's why, you know, you'll listen to like your chilled out music. You'll try and relax as much as possible post-workout. Take calming supplements like magnesium glycinate, um, potentially even ashwagandha in that window, and then look to eat your meal. Um, so I would just like chill out, you know, in the drive home to the from the gym to home. You know, just take your time. Um, if you get stuck in traffic, don't get stressed. You know, just breathe. Do some nice breathing, um, get yourself ready for that post-workout meal, and that's really going to come from just relaxing, you know, don't stress out about your blood glucose being in the right spot. Uh, so Damo again, second question, meal sources for intra-workout carbs, foods, not shakes. I mean, I wouldn't really be eating intra-workout. Uh, I've seen some people like eat sweets and things like that, but I think from if we look at where we want to pull blood, um, we want to pull blood intramuscular as much as possible. Um, so if we look at the process of digestion, we're going to pull blood as a result of that. So if we want any anything intra-workout, we want it to be as easy to digest as possible so that we're, we're placing as little demand on the digestive tract as we possibly can. That's why I've talked about in previous podcasts about the amount of carbohydrates that we want in a session or in an intra-workout drink because intra-workouts being too high will again demand too much of the digestive system and pull away from our ability to accumulate blood volume, thus mind muscle connection, thus pump, thus growth. So really do think about that, mate. I would just use your highly branched cyclic dextrin intra and keep it at that. That is what I would do, okay? Um, and just stick with that. Um, 
So pre-stage pump up time and exercises and reps. Again, this is very individual. You should be full enough so that you don't have to aggressively pump up like it's your final workout of prep. Um, you should basically just, if there's anything I've noticed with pros and professionals, in terms of the way that they, they do pump ups, they will just get a bit of blood in every body part, you know, high reps with bands, do a bit of posing and really just chill out. Um, I think that people overdo the pump up and when you overdo a pump up, you lead yourself into a bit of a shit position on stage because by the time you get to stage, you're gassed and you basically need to <laughs> stop posing to gather yourself. And that's not going to happen when you're on stage. You've got to keep posing. So, yeah, I would say that uh, trying to just get a, enough of a pump to feel full, which you already should be fairly full, um, even just relaxed then you'll be good on stage um, and then you know you can let your posing do the rest and if they do multiple multiple rounds of posing um, even if you're standing at the back you know make sure you're just like getting some blood flow and moving um, when you're at the back do not relax you know just just I, I love like sort of I can't really see it because I'm going to keep this as audio but basically hands on hips um, just holding holding my lat spread kind of like a relaxed lat spread at the back of the stage it looks quite professional now, a lot of people don't do that they just they hold a front relax for a bit and they realize how painful it is and they stop so yeah i would say that you know making sure you're not relaxed at any point on stage really important um so t-athletic protein intake in the off season i would say that it's fairly similar for me as it is <clears throat> during prep potentially a bit higher actually um for reasons that i mentioned in the previous question with regards to trace carb, uh, trace proteins in your carbohydrates. Um, so it's fairly similar in terms of the ratio, like for body weight comparative to prep. But all I would say is just make sure you're getting you know, good quality protein source at sort of, you know, 20, 20, 25, 30 grams per meal, splitting those meals evenly across the day. And then just don't stress. Like don't stress about it. You know, like if, if you want to try really high protein, then go for it. Um, Will you notice any sort of any change or any huge benefits? I don't think so. Not certainly not in an, an acute period of time. Maybe in a very long period of time, you'll notice some benefits. Um, there was actually some really recent research that was released um, by from Mena Henselmans about protein and its effects on satiety above a certain degree or above a certain intake. So um, there was some research in that. Um, in that bit of research that came out that was to suggest that beyond a certain point, beyond a certain degree, protein will no longer offer its benefits in terms of satiety as much as it would in its up to this range amount, um, which is interesting. Um, and a lot of people do claim that they feel satiated or more satiated off fats or more satiated off carbs. And <coughs> excuse me, this is again, personal preference. So um, really do take personal preference into account. Um, that should help you drastically in terms of setting up your protein intake. But as long as you are at the very lowest one gram per pound, you'll be doing all you need to sort of maximize muscle protein synthesis across the course of the day. Um, and if anything, lowering your protein in off season can be helpful. If especially if carbs get very uh, sorry, not carbs, but calories just get very high. Um, so your ability to eat is therefore huh, blunted and you find it difficult to get in your meals 
a lowered protein approach can maybe help you just get in your meals. Um, and again, that's going to be something that's productive because at the end of the day, uh, just like in a deficit, hitting your calories is the, the main goal. In a surplus, hitting your calories is the main goal. And um, if you can't hit them because your protein's too high, then you've got issues. Um, training abs in the off-season, surely uh, best time to train them uh, when you're in a surplus to improve. Uh, yeah, I do believe that, you know, obviously the thickness of the abs and the density of the abs is really built in the off-season. It's something that I've lacked in the past. So I really do try and train abs. Again, it's something that is uh, boring as hell because it's not really something you can progress. But that's why I would recommend is like, yes, like try and progress your ab training. So do a hanging leg raise and then over the course of weeks and months, try and add kilograms to it. So I'd try and add a dumbbell to it, try and add a little plate to it. Um, you know, if you're doing a cable crunch, try and go up the stack slowly. If you're doing an oblique crunch, try and go up the stack slowly. It's like things like this that just add into your um, ability to maybe gain some tissue in the abs. Uh, obviously for female competitors, you've got to be careful to a degree that you don't gain too much sort of blockiness or density to the abs. I don't think this should stop you from training uh, abs at all. Um, if anything, I think it's important because that will help with your midsection control. But again, if, if you're maybe a female that's um, just genetically got very blocky abs, I don't think that training them like training them really, really hard and really frequently is going to do you any favors. I've seen, I remember like one female I followed when I was very new to weight training, had the craziest, blockiest abs, um, but everything else was like normal sized, like bikini sized. And it's going to be really awkward for her when, if she competed because she'd have to literally suck up her abdominals in every pose because otherwise she'd look like weirdly muscular in the midsection. It was like the perfect men's health abdominals or midsection so it just looked a bit skewed in terms of our overall balance and physique so yeah i would just say that you know just um, see how your physique looks if your abs are already fantastic whatever you're doing is probably working um obviously getting the body fat off will reveal most of the abs if your midsection control on stage is poor or your abdominal development is low then training your abs in the off season should be an absolute must and also during prep um, the frequency, if your abdominal control is low, should be higher because, again, you want to regain that control of the midsection. You want to understand how to flex it, understand how to, you know, control it with imposing. Um, that's very important. You know, one of my clients, Aiden, was really struggling with his midsection control, um, and it wasn't down to bloating. It was simply down to a poor connection with his midsection. So, Aiden, if you're listening, you better be doing your abs because otherwise you'll run into the same issue. <laughs> um so yeah, I uh, hope that answers your question, Mike. Essentially, the answer is yes, but as always, there is some tangent. Karen, so uh, hey, hey coach. <laughs> uh, high volume, less intensity versus low reps, high intensity for quads. Again, this is quite individual dependent in terms of response rate. So people will respond to different training stimuluses massively. So someone might really respond well to high rep quad work and their quads will just balloon over a period of time obviously not acutely you won't do one session and be like wow i've grown crazy amounts it doesn't work like that but some people might respond really well to high reps and the way in which to maybe tell is how do you feel when you do high reps so do you feel like every rep is more beneficial like do you feel like you're doing more beneficial reps over the course of a high rep set than a low rep set 
Um, some people have fantastic connections with body parts. So for me, I can do a low rep set on back and still contract it really well and get a good set out of it. Some people find that really hard. Um, so, and then there's other body parts. You know, I think for the quads, I think a, a, um, a balance between the two is, is probably something that we desire is, you know, your low reps, high intensity, um, high reps, less intensity kind of thing. But I think that the role of intensity should apply across all rep ranges. So obviously if you're trying to just accrue volume and you're doing multiple sets of high repetitions, obviously all of them aren't going to be the failure, but it should still be intense. Um, with lower rep sets, obviously, you know, you might have less of them in total. So you're going to be taking the, the low that you in the giant, in the grand scheme of things, you're probably going to be taking more of the sets that are low repetitions a little bit close to failure because you're, you're doing less of them. Um, but again, it's very individual dependent. So, you know, that's why I look for, you know, Karen's obviously a client one and your feedback is like, you know, how, how is your current training going? Like, are you feeling connected to the muscle groups you're training? Are you, are you finding issues with the muscle groups you're training? Are you finding issues with movements, you know, like all of these things are really valid data for me as a coach to understand and make good changes, um, in terms of moving forwards and making your training as optimal as possible. Um, right. So Liam, what do you feel is a desirable amount of total sets per week for a week, um, for a week body part? again a very individual dependent question because our recovery capacity is so different Liam so you coming out of a contest prep right now your recovery capacity is going to be lower than when you're 20 weeks into your off season and eating 700 grams of carbs a day you know so you're at the moment at a point where your overall work for a weak body part might be lower than it is in your off season so you've just got to be aware of that now in terms of how we gauge it um, I've seen, you know, some weak body parts go up to like 20 to 30 sets per week, um, or even more. Um, well, not, not, not more than 30, actually. I haven't really seen many go above 30. That's just like a lot of fucking work. Um, but I would say in the upper echelons are like 20 to 30 sets and that's a lot of work. So when you're doing that amount of work, you've got to understand that that amount of work, a lot of it's going to be somewhat submaximal, but you're, you can't forget volume guys. You really can't forget volume and its importance. Like a big crowd at the moment, it's like, oh, you only need two sets. You only need two sets. And like, yeah, you can get away. Like some body parts will grow off two sets. But if you've got a weak body part, like a really weak body part, trying to grow that with just two, like, uh, like two sets per exercise and a, like a maybe eight working sets total per week, that's just not going to end well. I really don't think it will. Um, what you're feeling as a result of your fatigue is just basically you're battering your CNS with incredibly high intense working sets, which, yeah, they're going to offer benefit. Like intensity is there to offer benefit. It's going to benefit you. But you can't forget what volume is going to do as well. You can't forget the importance of having volume in your split and enough to bring up a weak body part. So, Liam, your goal over this offseason to bring up a weaker area, which... Um, I don't really know what it is on you. What is a weak body part on you? Or maybe you're asking for clients because I think you're quite balanced. Uh, maybe your back, maybe. 
Um, I'm not too sure that I haven't seen all of your shots, but maybe you're back. So let's say you're back. I would work it up from like whatever you're doing now and just really steadily increase your volume um, and just see how you and what you can respond to. Um, if you find that you can't progress and you're extremely sore, you're doing too much. If you find that you're progressing well and the body parts like growing and you're feeling like it's changing um, and you maybe have a little bit more room to push within your overall recovery capacity, then go for more and see what that gives you. Um, again, it's just this uh, seesaw. So you're trying to balance recovery with the demands for growth. And you've just got to have the seesaw effect. And if you nail it, perfect. You're going to make some incredible progress. But if you don't nail it, you've just got to reassess. And it's as simple as that. Um, so yeah, that's what I'd say, dude. Just like take your time and just constantly reassess where you're at. So I've got two more questions. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be able to do them all. It's just a little bit over 30 minutes, but I, I've, most of the comments are, can you make these longer? So you've got your longer podcast today, guys. Uh, what's your what's your preferred method of removing body hair pre-show? <laughs> uh, I have no preferred method. I hate doing it. It's fucking awful. Um, it's like sitting in the bath. You're cold. You're freezing. If your glutes are lean, it hurts to sit in the bath. Um, so yeah, my preferred method is unfortunately just spending hours in the bath listening to a podcast with a razor. Um, because I've tried the Veets, I've tried it, like trust me, I've tried it, and I, I end up just burning myself, I burn my skin by like putting it on and then reapplying it and then using a shaver to touch it up. And then when you do that, you basically like, your, your, my, my skin's quite sensitive, so um, <laughs> if I like shave it, put Veet on it, and then it just like, I'll burn. I remember for one of my first shows, I put V on like my armpits and then I shaved it on top of it and then I put more V on and yeah, I just like burnt my armpit to a cinder and like trying to hit a front double was like excruciatingly painful and I remember it really annoyed me because like I, I wanted my show day to be pain-free, stress-free and oh my god, it was like the worst pain ever and yeah, it looked infected and fucking awful what an absolute nightmare but we learned from these mistakes and the next time I didn't burn myself and it and the show day felt like an absolute breeze <laughs> in comparison uh so yeah that's my preferred method just a razor and just get it done just uh, spend some time in the bath with yourself or get your girlfriend to do it or something but I didn't have one when I was prepping so I didn't have that um I think either my mom or my dad did my back <laughs> Ah, uh, dear. Good times. Uh, so, yeah, creatine intake, is there an optimal time or doesn't it make a difference? Um, I would say it doesn't make a huge difference. If we look into, again, like when we're going to uptake nutrients the best, maybe pre or post-workout. Um, I think a lot of people put it either pre-intra or post. Again, around the window at which we're maybe going to assimilate nutrients better. Um, but I would say not to really worry about that too much. Just Whenever you can remember to take five grams, take it. Um, and I'm sure that I'll cover this question again in the future because it seems to be a regular one. But yeah, guys, I hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast or this session, this solo session. Um, I'm sure I'll speak to you very soon. And uh, we will be having maybe a podcast next week because I might be able to get one when I get back from New York. Um, but if not, me and Danny will rec rec like, we'll record something fun for YouTube, whether it be like a vlog or like a day of eating or something like that, that'll be fun. So you can look forward to that.
thank you guys for listening as always. Uh, if you opportunity to to share this, um, either share me uh, on your stories or just send it to a friend or, or whatever, that's always appreciated and it obviously helps share out my content. Um, as I said, look out for the thing in February that's coming up. Um, that's very exciting. I actually forgotten completely to cover my seminar, which was amazing. It was a superb success. Uh, we had a great day. We had, I think, almost four there. And the day just was fantastic. I wouldn't have changed it for the world. So that we had an awesome seminar day there. Um, and like I said, on that note, you know, keep your eye out for February because there's something cool that's going to happen. And lots of exciting things to look forward to, to in the new year as well. Hope all you guys are well. And I'll speak to you very soon. Cheers, guys. See you in a bit.